Welcome, everybody, to Great Lakes Backcountry, the podcast. I'm Michael, and thanks for being with us this week. I'm excited because we have a great episode to bring to you today. Hometown legends from right here in Ludington, Michigan, Luke and Murphy Jensen. They went on to play professional tennis. They won the 1993 French Open doubles tennis title. And they were known as the rock and roll duo in tennis. We are excited to have them on to talk about their tennis career and their love for the great outdoors. But before we get into that, a couple of announcements. We just want to remind everybody that on May 22nd, we have our Shaping Up the Shoreline event where we will be going along the shores of Lake Michigan and cleaning up trash. I have had some people reach out and say, we do not live near you in Ludington, but we would like to go out and pick up trash on the Great Lakes near our home. Can we do that? And the answer absolutely is yes. Everybody that wants to participate, no matter where you live, to just go out and pick up trash along the Great Lakes on May 22nd, we encourage you to do so. You can email us at greatlakesbackcountry at gmail.com. Again, greatlakesbackcountry at gmail.com to coordinate the specifics of that day with us. So please reach out. We'd love anybody to participate to help pick up trash along the shoreline. Before we get into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors. We have some great sponsors that allow us to do what we do. So let's thank West Shore Bank, McGee Insurance Group, Ludington Yacht Sales, and Renegade Products USA. Thanks for all your support. Now, let's get into this exciting episode, Luke and Murphy Jensen. Today's episode, we have Luke and Murphy Jensen, the Ludington Legends. That's my nickname for you. How's that? I like it. I love it. Yeah. From Ludington, Michigan, went on to win the 1993 French Open doubles tennis title. And from there, you know, you guys' career just skyrocketed. So we're going to do this in two parts. We're going to talk a little tennis in the beginning. Then we're going to talk about your love for the Great Lakes outdoors at the second part of this interview because your tennis career is what defines you guys and what a lot of people will know about you because you weren't just tennis players. You guys kind of changed the sport. Would that be fair to say you brought an edge to the sport that they had not seen before? Well, there Connors and McEnroe was finishing up. Agassi was around. He was like the Elvis. He was a huge personality. And then outside of that, you know, a couple of quiet guys in Courier and Sampras and, Europeans were kind of quiet and we just had this honestly the small town Midwest mindset coming from Ludington Michigan where everything was possible um growing up honestly to to your you know the McGee family house and going playing one-on-one and getting smoked by you know really good athletes and made us tough and everybody was really trying to do special things not just in sports but in academics and the urge was to push that younger generation out to impact the world. And I think we're products of that. Yeah. Murphy, you guys did not just, you know, change tennis in a way. 
you guys were riding Harley Davidson motorcycles onto the court to play, if I remember. So, I well, mean, where, where did this come from? Where you guys were known as like the rock and roll of tennis. You win the French Open. The next couple of years, you go to the U.S. Open in New York. Your matches are moved from side courts to stadium courts because of the crowd that's following and watching you. You're wearing football jerseys, bandanas. I mean, you guys had a different thing going that people connected to. Like, where did that come from? Well, you know this. I mean, we're from northern Michigan. It's a little different in northern Michigan than the rest <laughs> of the world. All right. And, and it really comes from, uh, number one, mom and dad in our backyard. You know, we built a, a court by hand out of concrete. We leveled some trees, made space, had just enough budget for one fence. We didn't have the whole court fence. So one side of the court, we were chasing balls in your mom and dad's house and everything in between. But, you know, the teams that our mom taught uh, in gymnastics and coached in gymnastics and our dad's, you know, coached in tennis, it was about having fun and, 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 and way ahead of its time exploring you know, allowing people to have personalities. And since day one, since pump, pass, and kick, and from the St. Simon Shamrocks, you know, to, to play with personality in that sports, dad really knew this, was entertainment. Howard O knew that sports, whether it's football, basketball, at the end of the day, especially at the highest order where you're getting paid and there are people in the seats, it's entertainment. And he didn't say, oh, don't be a showboat. And we weren't about being a showboat. We were about competing. We wanted to fight and dig and scrap and bring it. And what we learned uh, at Ludington High School, they had something called on their tennis team, Spirit Day. And it was for their homecoming match. And the players on the team got to dress any way they wanted. They were there were players dressed as clowns. There were players dressed in ballerina outfits. There were Wait, waiters, players. fish waiters. There were players <laughs> dressed in fishing waiters. And we took a page out of that book when we were in Alaska. We played the Alaskan Assassins prior Undefeat, to undefe Undefeated the Alaskan Undefeated Assassins. Alaskan Assassins. And he, Luke found a match before Wimbledon while we were up there fishing for, for salmon in June. The sockeye were running. And Luke says, we got to show up in our fishing waders. So having personality, it wasn't like, you know, don't have in, in a game like tennis, you know, big personalities uh, were, uh, like Luke said, uh, few and far between to find uh, in, in that generation of seriousness coming off a of Lendl dominance, where it was very ro robot-like. And, yeah. um, and it just created a platform and a, a space for for two guys like us with our backgrounds and our joy and zest for life to really thrive. It was a great stage for us. Yeah. Let's uh, back up real quick. Cause you said some things there. I want to you back up. Hey, <laughs> so you both went to USC, correct? Correct. Okay. Before that, Luke Murphy mentioned pump, pass and kick. You were a pump, pass and kick champion. Well, we never got to the Super Bowl. So if you win the Super Bowl against the other conference, you were the Super Bowl champs. We we got to the semis a couple of times. Luke was uh, a pump, pass, and kick choke. 
So, <laughs> so he can throw a football 175 yards when he was eight years old, and you only need 50 feet or 150 yards to win the whole championships. So he throws it 170, and he kicks minus 90. And he punts minus six down. He slipped. The guy there, slipped on the grass. He slipped. So there, there's a famous story to talk about, like kind of our Luddington chip on our shoulder, kind of our brashness and confidence that I felt we all had in Luddington. They were, we're pushing out to do great things. And Murphy was eight years old. And we, in the quarterfinals of punt, pass, and kick, the Luddington, uh, not, the, the, the Lions region, so Michigan and other parts, uh, it were you they give you the uniform you go it on thanksgiving day game yeah. and you did the punting and the the kicking uh before the teams warmed up and then the pass was always at halftime and so murphy we had just finished the punting and the kicking and we we're in the end zone as the bears were coming out to warm up and they're playing the lions and what do you know it's walter payton sweetness <laughs> is coming out and everybody knows walter payton you know big day every Walter Payton highlight seems to be against the Lions. And so there's little eight-year-old Murphy Jensen, and he's got his shoulder pads in his helmet. He looks like a little eight-year-old bobble doll, bobblehead <laughs> doll. And he goes to Walter Payton. He goes, hey, Payton, you ain't so fast. And <laughs> Walter Payton turns around. He was like a mountain, right? He has a football in his hand. Fires the football into Murphy's gut, right? Almost knocks him down. He goes, you just watch me today, kid. And he ran for like 256 yards on Thanksgiving Day. But <laughs> that was the brass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was kind of the confidence. You know, you you walked into the Silverdome. He's eight years old. And whether it was Walter Payton, it, it, it didn't matter. You were you're going to put it out there on the line, whether you won or lost. And just having fun with this amazing opportunity. I think that's where those early experiences in the Silverdome, in pump pass and kick in front of you know, tens of thousands of people really set the stage for us to play on the biggest stages around the world in tennis. That's great. All right. I'm going to ask you about USC real quick, but before I do, Luke, just say true or false. Story is you're at USC playing college tennis. you decide you're going to walk on to the USC football team Mm -hmm. So you go out, walk on, make the team as a quarterback. And the tennis coach finds out that you had done this and said, you either play tennis on scholarship or go play football and you lose your scholarship. <laughs> so you it, went back to tennis, true or false? It, it's kind of true. It's a little in the middle that I, I did go out. There was a, a new coaching, a coaching change between my freshman and sophomore year. I'm in full ride scholarship at SC. Always wanted to play football as a kid, even before tennis and, and everything. And so I, I tried out and on the walk on when it, there's hundreds of kids out there. And there was a guy there who was a defensive backs coach. And he, uh, he came up to me and he, he, he said, what position do you think you'll play on the team? Now there are balls being thrown around, kicked around people running sprints. And I'm like, you know, hey, I'm a punt, pass, and kick guy, right? I, I coach. I can run. I can throw. I can kick. You know, I, I, I you, whatever you punt, I can do it all. And he's going, you see that guy over there? He's pointing to this guy. Said, yeah, I see that guy. He goes, that's our kicker. 
he's bigger than you. You need to stick with that. So he, he was a big tennis guy. Yeah. And so he, he recognized me right away. Like, what, what are you doing out here? You're going to jack it up for your career and everything. And that guy ended up to be uh, Dr. Dale Gross. He got out of coaching at SC, got into the administrative side, was the AD at Syracuse and got me to coach up at Syracuse. So all those SC connections. So the guy that kind of told me, listen, you're not big enough to be big boy college football. You just, you're a little tennis guy. Just stick okay. with tennis. All right. So did you make the team or not? No, I, I didn't get that far. Didn't I mean, I'm so far, psyched. Okay. I thought, cause the coach is talking to me now. I'm going right. to show him my rifle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I right. didn't get that far. Murphy, Luke, why the university of Southern California, Michigan kids, Ludington kids, you know, that's a big transition, a big change all the way out to Southern California. So what was that decision to do that? Have you ever seen uh, uh, a Van Halen video from the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> and while drinking a six pack of Mountain Dew and eating munchos, munch, <laughs> munch, <laughs> you do that, you'll know exactly why <laughs> we went to USC. I mean, their student body was a very attractive. Uh, <laughs> um, no, there was tennis dominance and there was football dominance. And we thought, you know, we could play tennis there. I thought I, I wouldn't have, I would have gone uh, to uh, anywhere my brother had went, you know, oh. he, you know, where it, it, as long as they had hot babes. No, <laughs> um, no, That's but like the Rob truth is. They're, they're, like, they're, they're the best tennis uh, school in the country, in the land, Stanford, SC, UCLA. And, and uh, they also had great football and a great tradition. And, you know, so we could enjoy the whole uh, university lifestyle um, on so many levels. And the tradition in football, uh, the, the Heisman, and I think we were probably more identified with the football stuff and cared more about that than, um, than the tennis stuff. Okay. So, so you both go to SC, you leave SC. What was the main decision to team up as this doubles duo, you know, brothers and go out and hit it? I remember from our early days growing up on the Christmas tree farm out at Victory Township near West Shore Community College. That was the first eight years of my life, six years of Murphy. And we, we just did stuff together. Uh, we fished together. We just the mailbox was a mile down the road. There was no, uh, no one else hanging out. And I, those early years where we had to be our best friend and we competed in everything together. And I think those, instead of having other friends, those early years, because there were no neighbors, no neighbors, kids, it was just us in the middle of this 80 acre Christmas tree farm. And just our dreams were to do it together, to travel the world together, to, to use this sport. And I think as we got better in the game of tennis, even though I'm two and a half years older, this was something like Murphy said about SC. He was going to follow me uh, wherever. And that's what he did. And all the way through to the end. And when I kind of blew out my knee and I, you know, the game passed me by, he, he no longer played. He was done with it. And because he wanted to play with me. And to, it's one of those most amazing things, our, our friendship and our love for each other um, through all those years. And I, I go back to those early years where we were our best friends and we want to do something special together. Yeah, that's, that's very nice of you to say, Luke. You guys are actually complimenting 
respecting each other, and that doesn't happen. Too well, you're, often. you're asking you're asking good questions. You're, I mean, if people getting... know you two, you rib each other all the time. You don't compliment each other all the time. So this is, <laughs> I'm getting you're, a different side of you guys right now. Now you're catching us at a uh, at a time uh, in our lives where <laughs> you know the PTSD has been treated. And the concussion protocol isn't what it used to be. And so, you know, we learned early on that the 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 wrestling matches and the and the and the, the physicality of being brothers uh was gonna put us both in an emergency room uh well, more than that. so that's, at age fifty-two and fifty-four, uh, we are a gentler, softer, kinder more vulnerable i'm feeling a little sensitive tonight luke oh, How are you so that's funny you say that because when i was preparing for this interview with you guys i you know obviously told my parents that we were going to be doing this and my dad said man i remember when howard o bought luke and murphy boxing gloves as kids <laughs> and we would watch them just go after each other oh. and annihilate each other and they just wouldn't stop. They would just box and box and box. And I'm like, yeah, that kind of sounds like Luke and Murphy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those were the days, man. Those were. And your mom was our babysitter, so you can imagine what that was like. Yeah. You know, just going 15 championship rounds. Yeah. I and and my mom at the time was what like 90 pounds, exactly. trying to break you two up boxing. Yeah. So. Oh. All right, we'll talk just a little bit more tennis before we get into the outdoor aspect of this. Um, you guys get out of college, you come together, you're a doubles duo on the professional circuit. Was the French Open victory something that you saw coming or was it a total surprise, just happened to be your week and everything came together? Well, I mean, the night before the tournament starts, Luke, Luke says to me, after having two successful weeks, the semifinals in Rome and finals of Bologna, Italy, rolling in and finishing our last practice before the tournament starts, he says to me, you know, we can win this thing. And if we keep our heads down and do uh, play the way we're playing, we can win this whole tournament. And the truth is he, he, he knew what I didn't know. Truth is, I, at that moment, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, this is the first time I've ever played this tournament. Who wins the French the first time they show up? You know, but I've always had a buzzer beater mentality since Jerry Jocks at uh, St. Simon's <laughs> Elementary. My wife. That's goes, true. I, I'm a buzzer beater. You know, it's I, I've been really fortunate. I, I buy a lottery ticket and I win it. And life is kind of great. Luke thinks I've got a golden horseshoe up my butt. But um we were prepared, and the truth is, since since uh, backyard or at uh, Tinkham Courts or anywhere in Ludington, any tennis court we ever played on, from Petoskey to Paris, we were uh, we were taught how to win, and uh, we didn't care the size of the stage. Luke was already the number one junior tennis player in the world at the age of eighteen, singles and doubles. I was winning world championships, had two-time Orange Ball champion in doubles. We were winning at the high, biggest stage, and so winning was um, familiar, and we weren't afraid of it. Okay. And, 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 and I think all of that uh, ingredients made for, and, and, and the right timing, like you mentioned, um, 
made it possible. And then it was off to the the races and the and the rock and roll tennis show was uh, had the the jet fuel and needed to go all the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the bottom line was I'm two and a half years older. I was on the tour. You know, I had a couple of years already playing the French, whether it was the juniors or with the uh, in the men's open and doing well, reaching the quarters and things. There was no doubt. I mean, I had seen Murphy hit half court shots. You know, like I talked about eight years old and he's already, you know, going to the semifinals as an eight year old and pump at. He just had a big shot, big game mentality, a no fear to for the bright lights and big stage. And I just knew if we just put it together, he just needed seasoning. He'd never he'd never been on those those stages before, but he served 140 and he could hit any shot. And I just had to make sure that we were in it long enough for him to get hot. And so leading into the French, there wasn't anyone we were afraid of. We were honestly the in Rome, I jumped the net at a at the team that had just won it the year before. So we were going after teams. And that again, that's I'll go back to our our Luddington, fearless, going after our opponents with absolutely so much aggression and confidence. And you just string together two weeks. I let me ask you this, guys. What was more exciting? For you at that time, winning the French Open in a different country or coming back to the States those few years after playing the U.S. Open and having your matches moved to stadium courts in front of American fans, what what one would you choose as the bigger rush? Well, personally, I think winning the French set the stage for, for everything, but... I, I would say what really thrust us into the the mainstream was number one, Adidas uh, signed us to a deal where we had our own clothing line and it was selling at MC Sporting Goods in Grand Rapids. And that was weird. You got your names on a, cl- a clothing line. But Pat O'Brien made the executive decision, who is the uh, the uh, anchor for, for uh, CBS at the time. And he, he basically yanked the Pete Sampras match because the ratings weren't great. It was the summer where Sports Illustrated had coined tennis is dead, you know, from every angle except for the Jensen brothers and Pat O'Brien, who I know personally today, uh, made a decision to put us on center court middle Sunday of the U.S. Open on CBS. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we lost the match, but it was a really big deal. You know, it was a really, really big deal. We were wearing the uh, World Cup soccer uniforms or, or we were wearing the uh, football jerseys. That willingness to dare to be different in the New York crowd really ate up our stuff. I mean, they went bananas at night. Um, I think we're undefeated at night at the U.S. Open. I was sleeping most of the time during the day. but <laughs> I, I, I just remember being a kid. Or, you know, and we all would gather around the TV on Memorial Weekend those few years, and they would let me stay up till one in the morning because they waited for the night matches to end so you guys could play center court. You know, and you guys didn't start till like 11 o'clock at night sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. They always had that first match at seven, and then we'd follow it right. And it was honestly so perfect for us. We'd get diehards that were coming in. And they were tennis fans, but they were sports fans. Sometimes they had a few too many pops, and yeah. it was game on. I mean, we would 
you would bring them into the fight. You'd high five them. You'd look to them, ask them for strategy advice, and you would should, you could draw in that that energy and that passion. It just was a huge difference maker. Um, going back to your question about you know was the French was the U.S. Open a, a proud moment for me? Where we had all four of us, our two sisters Murphy and myself, played in the same Grand Slam. And tennis has been around globally for over 200 years. And we're the only family of four to play in the same Grand Slam. And that was the Australian, I think, in 96. To me, because we did do it as a family, because we were outliers in a very small town with no indoor courts, no traditional training, to have four siblings go and make it that far, I think is truly, and all four of us have their, our own styles, our own stories, but to, to do that, and I've, I've played with uh, both sisters and Murphy and all the slams it's that was always so cool to me yeah your sisters rebecca and rachel the twins also played professional tennis uh rebecca ncaa champion i mean the the athletic accomplishments run deep in your family and we could talk tennis on and on and on uh but we have to get into the outdoors aspect of yes. the podcast okay so i want to know being from Ludington. How did you get into a love for the outdoors before we get into the whole beef jerky and bears story <laughs> that Murphy wants to tell? Uh, where did the love for the outdoors and the Great Lakes come from? Because uh, I think I mentioned to you before we started the interview, I don't remember your parents being huge outdoorsy individuals. Um, I could be wrong there, but so where did it well, come from? The, I would say the outdoors and, and tennis, uh, run parallel because we're living out on Stiles Road out near the Christmas tree farm near West Shore, like Luke mentioned, and dad drives the Jeep home after tennis practice or something and pull, and, and there's a picture of this day and he, he pulls out a tennis net and I'm maybe four and Luke's maybe six and, and I say, what's that dad? And he's like, that's a tennis net. What are we doing with it? And he's like, we're going, grab the pitchforks, we're going to the river. So the salmon would rip it up the Lincoln River, not right next to our house, and he he laid the the tennis net across the <laughs> the river so that would they would bottle up, and and that was our exposure to <laughs> the great outdoors. <laughs> I think it's pre DNR days, and it was bananas. And and honestly, my fondest memories as a young man or a young boy child was uh, running up and down those those banks and just seeing where the, the salmon would, would be hanging or sitting in a creek or, or the river. And I loved it. We felt like uh, just wild boys out there with their shirts off, no socks or shoes um, in our shorts, just looking for salmon and to tell dad to count how many salmon were near the, the, the tennis net. And all the guys would come out, the adults would come out and, and it was just a blast. And then we moved closer to town near the state park and there was, you know, surf casters and snagging out at the state park and everyone at the lighthouse. Dad spent a lot of time at the lighthouse. So we were, we were in those rocks, uh, crab and we'd sell the crabs to the fishermen to get money for cotton candy at the, at the you know, house of flavors or wherever. Um, we were in the water outside all the time. The rule was if you were inside the house, you clean the house. So who wants to be inside? So we were always outside playing. And, and, and our favorite, my favorite thing, my, I was always, Luke was uh, always referred me, to me as his fishing buddy. 
you know, and he, I watched him catch, actually he didn't catch it. He, he hooked into his first salmon at the state park at the bridge there at the entrance and, and the rod snapped in half. He got a brand new rod from grandma and grandpa. The rod snapped in half. Didn't, God knows what happened. It's unbelievable. 30 some years later, I'm out fishing at the dam and I caught the tip of the rod. <laughs> hand to God is an eagle claw. Eagle really? claw. That's right. A yellow eagle claw that snapped in half, and and I and I and I caught his rod. <laughs> but but then we graduated into more civilized uh, forms of fishing in the outdoors. Um, everything from uh, fly fishing to Alaska. I mean, Luke used to laugh at me all the time because I got into fly. But on the tennis tour, we actually hired a tennis coach from Portland, Oregon, who had a great acumen for fishing. And his, his job was just as much to figure out where to go fishing, whether it's on a <laughs> golf course or Nottingham, England, to know the waters and the different styles of fishing. And I had fly rods flown in from Atlanta, Georgia, somewhere. It was something to do between matches and you know, to keep the insanity of the traveling, you know, uh, uh, it was just a way of relief. And, and to me, Northern Michigan and Ludington is my favorite place on earth, even with as much traveling as we've done. So in all your traveling and fishing around the world, you would pick Ludington to fish salmon. Oh, yeah. Ludington. Yeah. yeah. We, we got that. I, thing right I, live, I live in Salmon City, right? Seattle, Washington. But like you get like one fish a year, um, it's bananas and and the regulations and everything else. But Ludington, the the fishermen are as good as anywhere on the planet. And I've been to Alaska twenty five times. I mean the 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 captains of these boats are you know the fishing magician or you name it. Um, you know Knutson is probably one of the best fishermen. I I don't want to like not he, adam is like insane and they got the big boys tournament coming up this summer and i'm winning that are you gonna be in it yeah, yeah guaranteed are you coming up to fish it yes and i'm bringing in <laughs> i'm bringing in my own team okay Luke, uh, are you coming up to fish it we will you got be oh, yeah. we will be tested positive for performance enhancement uh, you know, PDs. we will be uh sponsored by mountain dew at the highest order they got some giveaway going on right now but fishing in luddington there's no place I i've taken my friends from alaska you know to luddington and we go out there with knudsen or, or sean Primorsky and we catch you know between like 30 fish yeah like big boys for <laughs> for uh freshwater and these guys, you know, are you allowed 30 fish? Well, we are. No, they, we all play by the book today. We play it by the book. Um, but, uh, you know, I, Luke, Luke drives out to the state park whenever he's home and he knows I don't get home as much. And he takes shots of the sunsets. And, you know, we've gone this dirt bag. Luke won't wear waders anymore. And he's surf fishing in November for Steely's. Uh, at the state park in his tennis shorts, like a maniac. Um, now they're calling it polar plunging, but yeah, <laughs> you know, that's what they did with crazy people back in the thirties. But you know, I'm not saying he's nuts. I, when you bring up fishing, I can't stop talking. It's my favorite thing yeah, in the world. You guys love fishing. My, yeah, my three-year-old's first word was salmon. Hand <laughs> <again>. <laughs> so you know, we, fish we had the, the godfather for us that, I mean, we had a grandfather that was a, huge outdoorsman and things but this guy tommy copenhaver 
tuna. He played on my dad's high school tennis team, and he just would spent so much time teaching us like how to catch salmon, how to do this and that. And he just made it so much fun and so cool and always had this big smile. And then when we'd come home, he'd fix our reels if we were all jacked up at Captain Chuck's. And I think the, the community there was always so helpful because you want to know where they're biting. You know, where do I go? Do I go on the surf? Do I go on the rivers? You know what? And I, I find that other communities, they're really kind of, they don't want to share all the secrets. But I think in Ludington that I have found wherever, you know, I'm looking for just where are they hitting, who's biting on what, and uh, whether it's Lake Trout and Steelies and Coho and Kings, it, it's everyone wants to get you out there and have a great, great time. Yeah. It is a great place to fish. You guys do not get back here as often as you would like, I imagine. Yeah, unfortunately, well, yeah, Murphy, yeah, Murphy's in Seattle. I'm bouncing. I get the chance to be back more since COVID, but it's never enough. It's God's country. Right. You know, when I lived in Los Angeles, which, you know, people think, oh, you lived in L.A., it's amazing. You know, two things happened that I will never forget. When dad was sick, I was flying back once a month. Uh, and, and actually, one of the things before he got sick was he would call me when we'd he'd have a blizzard. The, the he said, you know, a big blizzard's coming and we would go out there and we'd put on ski goggles and just, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And I would just, I, I, I the, the, the worse it got, the better I liked it. And, um, and then when, and when dad was sick, uh, my wife and I moved back to Ludington for a year and it was literally one of the best years of my life. Uh, bring a, bring him in into the finish line alongside the rest of my brothers, uh, Luke and Rachel and Rebecca and siblings. And uh, it's just where it's at. You know, I, I pray to God, I get more time. I'm bringing everything, everything I'm doing. My, my oldest son, Billy, you know, his greatest memories uh, were bringing him to Ludington. And now I get to bring uh, baby Duke, Duke Otto Jensen to Ludington to the lighthouse I'm going to get Russ Miller to take some photos um, or whoever, Todd and Brad Reed to take some photos. And just, I, I can't wait to share the, the, the greatest place on earth, Ludington, Michigan with this little guy. I will have to say when you guys come to town, you fly under the radar because oh, yeah, yeah, not yeah, a lot yeah. of people I, know you're in town. You know, yeah. <laughs> I drive by, every time I drive by your house, I look to see if a car's yeah. there. And yeah. one time I did, I stopped in and talked to you, Luke. And, yeah. um, you know, but for Murphy to say he moved back here for almost a year, was he, like nobody knew that. You guys just kind of. <laughs> I would, I'd move, my, you know, my wife, my wife's from Seattle and we have, I'm looking right at Mount Rainier and we got Mount Hood and we got oceans and whales and orcas and seals and sea lions. And it's a huge boating community and you're close to Vancouver, British Columbia. And it's, it's absolutely magical. It's, it's incredible. But the, I really say the secret sauce of Ludington beyond the dunes and beyond the lake and beyond the, the sunsets is the people, yeah. the people and the community. And, and honestly, my wife who visits, you know, has been everywhere, uh, says there is an energy. It's one thing to just take it from someone born there like you and I and, and people we know in town, but to hear it from someone from Seattle, from, from a place uh, aesthetically is bananas, you know, here in Seattle. 
She says, there's an energy in Ludington I've never experienced anywhere in the world. And, and her sister said the same thing when she came to visit, that there's something about it and about the people. And she got to know the community. And, you know, we, she got to know all the, the people that my, my dad taught or mom worked with or our friends and neighbors. And she said, there's an energy here. And, and it's like the greatest win ever that she's saying, hey, let's get to Ludington. We got to get to Ludington in June or July or whenever. Let's stay as long as you want. And I'm like, home run. Yeah. <laughs> Buzzer beater. Have you guys fished many other places around the Great Lakes than Ludington? I've been in well, Superior. Um, I went to Erie. When I was at Syracuse, I'd come up and I'd get a lot of good salmon fishing up there, kayak fishing. Mm-hmm. And that's Grayling, great. You, you hook into a king. Yeah, Luke Grayling. Was born on the rivers of Grayling, Michigan. You oh. know, that's that's world world famous trout fishing back in the day. Yeah. What's your favorite Yeah. Species to catch, Murph? What was my favorite what? Fish species to catch. I mean, I'm a salmon guy, man. Are you? And and I've been trying to break the Les Anderson's world record up in Alaska forever. <laughs> um I thought, he, recently, I thought he got broken. Didn't they it some was Russian broke- guy? It was, yeah. no, it was, no, it was broken in uh, British Columbia. That species of huge salmon in the Kenai Peninsula where the record was used to be. And there's a lot of controversy around that record. That's um, <laughs> going to make a movie about it. Uh, uh, someone on the boat, there's a guy that uh, put a bunch of money in ensuring that they weren't overfished and commercially fished. And, and British Columbia probably right now has the most big 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 hogs um on the planets but i'm a salmon freak fanatic those just from from those early days of running up and down um the lincoln river or our house you know that 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 set the tone and when when we actually got to take our dad to alaska and we have video and you know from the bear country to all the salmon that are there and the species and the halibut um but yeah, you can't get me off that. I've caught sailfish and marlin and stuff like that, but there's nothing better. And I'm really into river fishing. If I were to break it down um, to one thing, I, I want to get in the rivers or in the water as opposed to being on a boat. Yeah. Give our listeners a place other than Ludington that you love on the Great Lakes. Ooh, on the Great yeah, you, Lakes. yeah, you go to Pulaski. You you get up to like in upper like central New York. It's yeah. the Salmon River, and it's Pulaski. You, you, I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. I mean, it is the rivers are narrow and they run fast, and it's just fish, or you can just grab them by the hand. It's so ridiculous. How about uh, what were you? What's the question outside of uh, the Great Lakes? Outside of Ludington. If you had to go on a, for a weekend somewhere on the Great Lakes, where would you go? That's a that's a good question. Um, you know, where I would love to to grab some of the steelhead fanatics and and find where the big steelies and the and find the sweet spot when the Baldwin baby Baldwin. I heard it's Baldwin's pretty sweet out there, but I heard the Manistee River has some big mamas. Um, I would like to go north, and I don't know. I can't speak to the Upper Peninsula. I would be a blast to even figure out white fishing in Lake Superior. Yeah. 
because that's a French delicacy. Here I was at the French Open with Luke, and we're eating at a restaurant. They're like Lake Superior whitefish. I'm like, oh, really? Man. From Marquette? <laughs> or, you know? And I'm like, count me down for two of those. Um, nice. Anyway, it's, it's uh, I will, I'll get after anything as long as I can be in Michigan. So another one, another really good spot is downtown Chicago, just off of like Lakeshore Drive. They've got all these like boat docks and things. Salmon go down in there. And there's a really cool bait shack that sets you up with what you need. And people go in and get their limit of salmon and then go home for the day. It's just right there. I mean, you were downtown Chicago, right there on Lake Michigan on Lakeshore Drive. I highly recommend that. I always wanted to fish the Grand River, which we never did, which was yeah. surprisingly because the just being downtown like that. Like Luke's saying, it would be really cool. So nice. We are getting late into the interview. So I want to ask this one last thing. What is the beef jerky story <laughs> in Alaska? I want to know the story. So whoever wants to tell it, tell it. Murph. Well, we, there's always going to be two versions to this. I mean, <laughs> what what moron brings his tennis racket bag to the river? Yeah. You know, not me. I bring in what the essentials, you know. Okay, a so 40, before, I need to set this up A 44-hand cannon. Oh, yeah, but let me set this up first. So this year, Alaska, because of COVID, no commercial fishing from the Russians, from the Chinese, from the U.S., for these giant salmon. So if you're ever in our lifetime going to go salmon fishing and have it thick where you could just walk over salmon, just get to the other side of the river, this was the year. So in a COVID, we got tested. You had to get tested to get into Alaska. Show them a negative test so you didn't get quarantined. So we show up there, we get all the gear ready to go. And so I'm showing up with my tennis bag. And so in my tennis bag, I've got all this stuff. So go ahead, Murph. We get on, we get on the Russian we get river. On this ferry to, we get on this little rope ferry to cross the, the Russian and the, the Kenai River. You got to get to the other side. And once you're on the other side, you got to walk a good mile, you know, downstream to get away from the crowds. And yeah, but we, you're we never we found it. Yeah, but remember, we found it. You don't go where all the people are. You go where the guides are. So the guides are coming down and they're on this bank like a mile and a half, two miles down the river, and they're just catching fish less and right. And that, they're professional. That's cool, that's cool, except that Mr. Potato Chip, my doubles partner, is ripping <laughs> it down to uh he's got a bag full of food, right? And then we're I'm out there doing my thing and trying to get the limit for the day. And long story short, I turn around and this uh, porpoise called Luke is laying there eating his food in the bank and is in the water with his rule number bag. one. Yeah. Don't open your bag of food because bears are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's not black bears, grizzlies, man. Yeah. And there's a yeah. lot of bear attacks. So I turn around and he's a good 20 feet behind me. And just just downstream, heading his way, was a was a five thousand pound grizzly bear. And do I do I a say, hey, bro, 
No. You know, you might want to slide out of there. Or do I get out my iPhone and start taking some shots? I've got, I got to see this, right? <laughs> and then the bear went a different direction. It wasn't interested. It probably was afraid he was going to lose the fight <laughs> and uh, with Luke. And, and the, the, then the, 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 the ranger shows up because Luke's now fishing and he's got his bag of food open. He's like, dude. The rule is you can't have food or any of your belongings more than three feet away from you. And he's got his stuff 30 feet away from him. Yeah. Or you got to tie it up a tree and do all that. Wide, wide open, wide open, McGee. The bag was wide open with all the jerky and all the all the gear. It was like I was set up for a bear attack. And, and and this isn't like a fishing story. We can give you a thousand stories, but this actually happened. Then this knucklehead takes our our salmon that I filleted out there. Actually, we didn't even fillet them yet because we were taking them to the processor. He's got, you know, six fish in his racket bag walking a mile <laughs> through bear country, and he wants me to hang with him. There's no <laughs> way I'm going to be anywhere near this pork chop if he's dripping salmon blood onto the trail and these trails weren't made by humans these are bear trails yeah there and and it's, these bears are about to eat us so i'm i'm out i'm out you mcgee we, you're on mcgee hey. did you notice the whole part of it he didn't even warn me that there is a bear i did catch down. that yeah it, that, that's that's the part he kind of like skips over he was going to like leave me for the bear just because the entertainment part portion for him. So you said something about Roger Federer said beef jerky's good for you. So you well, one, yeah, one jerky. the one year we were still playing, and you know, I thought, listen, we tried every way to win the Swimbledon thing. We practiced, we brought coaches, we had the nutritionist, all this stuff. But you know what? Let's go up to Alaska, which is on basically the other side of the planet from London, England. And let's let's train up there. And that's when we Murphy and I played the Alaskan Assassin as a warm-up match and everything. And, and so we got up there, and Roger Federer just absolutely believed winning Wimbledon's all about eating beef jerky. <laughs> so we, we got into a heavy dose of beef jerky. It didn't help us like it helps Roger Federer. <laughs> Oh, because you had to be in all whites and you were not able to wear your football jerseys in your well Luke Luke actually wore a white python white python snakeskin jacket on the center court <laughs> before the authorities confiscated that jacket because it was an endangered species. Someone yeah, had that was un- that was actually pretty unfortunate because I, I was about to rock that place. It said till death do its part. And I thought, like, this is going to be perfect for center center court Wimbledon. Oh, guys. Well, I'm looking at the time. We are running short on time. I really appreciate you guys being a part of the podcast. We could keep talking for hours, I'm sure. Um, Murphy, Where's my meatloaf? <laughs> <laughs> Murphy, I, I do remember the story, though. You told me that you win the French Open. You're like, you know what? We're going to go out and celebrate tonight. You go to the club or bar or wherever, and the bouncer would not let you in because you didn't have your ID or or something on you. 
and yeah. you're like, well, how am I going to get in? So you, you said, oh, I have my check. From no, my friend said this guy just won the French Open with his brother, and he says, prove it. And I had no, I, I didn't have my credentials, but I had the check for like $130,000 or $40,000 in francs. <laughs> oh, 500,000 French francs later, I, uh, yeah, I blew it on the roulette table. No, that's not true. <laughs> that came later. So anyway. Well, I know everybody up here in the Ludington area is super proud of you guys and everything you've done. And like I said, you come to town, you fly under the radar. People don't even know you're in town. My grandma lives right behind your house yeah. that you guys have here in Ludington. And I'll say, you know, is have you seen Luca Murphy this summer? And she's like, Well, I don't know. They never let anybody know when they come to town. So you guys have to <laughs> well, stop being so secretive and the House of Flavors knows we're in town. How's that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I see that's but honestly, that's a testament to Luddington. It really provides a place where you can just be yourself and they no one really cares. No, they're, 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 it's not a it's not about a big deal. Right. You know, and and it's a, just a really easy going place where, you know, Luke and I are just a couple of bozos on the bus of this thing called life that we're, we and, uh, you know, the Ludington just accepts anybody for that matter. I, I, movies have been shot there um, that the people in Los Angeles said I we shot a movie at the bank uh, a scenes in the movie at this bank in Ludington. And it was really the greatest place ever. And they just, it's a really welcoming town that doesn't make it a big deal out of anything, you know, because they're really grateful to live in a such, such a beautiful place with such kind people. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've said it for a long time. We're really blessed because those three, four months a year, Ludington, nothing's better. Yeah. The weather's nice. And even the falls here have gotten beautiful. September. Yeah most beautiful months of the year here in London. Yeah. So. Well, really neat is all the children uh, have decided to start moving there. And there's so many young entrepreneurs and, and a lot of the young businesses in, and the town has really taken shape in a really good way, which hasn't lost. If anything, it's uh, enhanced what Ludington has to offer, yeah. you know, it changed with the times and it's offering a really, really, really great, uh, wholesome, um, this is no lie. I was on a, a, a meeting with some people and uh, this actor didn't know anything or I didn't know this actor on the, the, and he's a producer and a director. And he says, he doesn't know I'm on the meeting. He says, my favorite place in the world. He grew up in Kalamazoo. He lives in Los Angeles. is Ludington, Michigan. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, like, come on. And he and I've since become friends and he has, he was showing me a piece of art in his house and it's a Todd and Brad Reed photo of the lighthouse. That's great. Yeah. Right. So this stuff is for real. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, it speaks for itself. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys being on. We'll have to, we'll definitely get together this summer. And if you are coming up for the Ludington offshore classic, and if you're fishing it, I mean, game on. Let's go. <laughs> All right, McGee. Hey, Adam's best, not buddy. podcast tonight. You know, he's the professional fisherman on the podcast. I'm the let's go have fun fishing guy. Yeah. Uh, no, it's game on. Let's go. I'm going to show yeah. everybody the team. Uh,
You're going to eat my salmon eggs, buddy. That's right. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right, Luke. Stick. All right, Murph. I appreciate you guys being part Stick of this. Up. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yep. See you, McGee. All right. Well, there you have it. Luke and Murphy Jensen. I'm so excited they were able to join me today. We tried to connect for a long time, and we finally were able to do it. So I'm excited about that. They are great guys, very near and dear to my family's heart. Our uh, families go way back. A little tidbit of information, their sister, Rebecca, is named after my mother. That's how far back our families go. And so I'm excited to see them this summer, and we probably will get them back on the podcast live and in person instead of over Zoom when they're here. So I look forward to that. I do want to say I have a little sad thing to talk about for a sec, but I have to do it, so please bear with me. We are preparing for a funeral here in the family. My Aunt Sue passed away from COVID last week, and I just want to give her a huge shout-out that we all love her, and she will always be with us. She has supported me, my brothers, and my entire family in everything that we have ever done or tried to do. And so I just want to give her a huge shout out. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, McGee Insurance Group, West Shore Bank, Renegade Products USA, and Ludington Yacht Sales for their support, allowing us to do this and bring you new episodes each week. Do not forget our Shaping Up the Shoreline event on May 22nd. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay tuned on how you can win free Great Lakes Backcountry merchandise. Don't forget to go to the YouTube page and check out the videos. We have some boat series videos coming up this summer you will want to see those as we will go around and show you different boating setups here on the great lakes but moving along that's all i have for you this week we are not going to do a chill time for this episode just because the interview with luke and murphy ran so long and this episode is already longer than most of our episodes so we will do that next week but till next time guys Get out, enjoy the Great Lakes, and we'll see you soon.